Gaming MBS episode 148, recorded July 10th, 2017. Welcome to Gaming MBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you aboard. So, Sean, haven't seen you since, what, yesterday when we were at the uh, Gaming MBS and Hubs and Friends of the OSR soiree at the uh, Pig and Guzzle or whatever microbrewery we were at. <laughs> I can't remember what <laughs> it was called. The Pig and Guzzle. The Pig and Guzzle. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't remember the all, name of the place. I honestly don't either. It's all vegetarian cuisine. It was actually really good food. And uh, the beer was really good, too. That was kind of nice. Yeah, Wayne Lumrunner Humfleet made the trek down. V.C. Young, uh, Illinois native, cruised over. We had Bird, uh, one of uh, uh, Hobbs' buddies, and Hobbs himself, of course, was there. So it was good. Yeah, it was fun. Swapped some games around, swapped a lot of lies and bullshit, and uh, drank some beer. It was a good time. Nobody took my, uh, nobody took my stuff, stuff, man. Yeah, That's because you brought Gerbs. You brought GURP stuff. That's <laughs> like you're the guy that bring like brought like the vegetable tray to the kid's birthday party. That was just a bad idea. Here's my fruit cake, guys. Yeah, here I'll put that in the corner. Oh, <laughs> All right. hey, I did get a Hobbs and the Friends of the OSR zine signed. See, I got one. I had one. I got from Sneezak. I saw him at Origins. Oh, that's oh, yeah, that's right. So, but Hobbs like, you got to get this one. It's got a better cover. I'm like, all right, I'll take one of those. Well, well, you get two. I got two, but I didn't get either one signed. Like a dumbass, there I was in front of Scott Hubbs, the man himself, and I didn't get it signed. So, man, that's what I got. That's what I got. I got to get him to sign mine, Scott Hubbs, just <laughs> because that's what I got to do when I see him next. I think mine was numbered uh, one of ten thousand. That's pretty good. I That's know it's crazy. The last, like the first one of a, the 10,000 print run, he's already out. Nice. <laughs> it's nuts. If you're, if you're not getting it run over to friends of hubs, <laughs> friends of the OSR starring Jason Hobbs. Well, I'll tell you what the, um, and just to piggyback on it real quick, we do have, well, the bonus issue of said zine, which will have the, um, the the folks who had submitted all their entries to our OSR contest. I still have got some shipping to do. I've got the address to the gentleman uh, who is the winner, um, and I need to get an email from the henchman and a few other things laid out, and then uh, we'll get the the goodies out to people who have so well, well deserved them. But enough of the past. Let's move on to the future. So holy cow! Whoa! Hey! Yeah! It's it's that was then. This is now, man. I know. I know. Are you, so, are you talking? You want me to cover what we're talking about right here? At this yeah, point? I was going to say, you jump into the announcement. Tell me about Gamehole. What do we got going Holy there? Holy but Jesus, Brett. So I went online today, GameholeCon, Gaming Convention in Madison, Wisconsin, first weekend in November. Get your ass GameholeCon, GameholeCon.com. The event list is up. Um, they are still taking event submissions. So if you haven't submitted your events and you're coming and you want to run a game, that's still open. Um, I believe registration for events is August 1st. So not like three weeks from now. Um, the folks I, Brett, am very proud of the folks that are running events under gaming ABS. Oh yeah. Well, I'm twice as proud. So there I win. God damn it. <laughs> the reason 
Do you know why, Brett? Well, apart from them being quality, upstanding gamers who love us as brothers, um, I don't know what else. What, what else have they done that's so amazing? The, the diversity of games. This yeah, is it's not, actually, it's this actually is not cool. 5e land here. No, no, it is not. I'll give you an example. So Jason Hobbs of that OSR podcast is running BX D&D. Christopher Sneezak of Misdirected Marketing and Coded Designs fame is running Dungeon World. That's mm-hmm. like his game. So he's top notch. He's good. He is, I, I have played Dungeon World with him. He is good. Yeah. Uh, Michael Drescher is running a couple games of Fate Accelerated. Forrest yeah, Drescher's, been, Drescher's been pulling the Fate thing out on uh, Facebook and Twitter lately. He's going crazy on yeah, that. Yeah. Forrest Gary, local uh, friend of the show and friend of ours, uh, is running DCC. He also hosts... Uh, Globern podcast. Yep. Yep. Corey Wynn, North Northern Wisconsin native, is running five E. VC Young is running the six dash six system. The uh, Brett is running the World of Darkness, assuming he's going to be there in five E. Correct. I'm going to be running Savage Worlds. I may be running um, Tales from the Loop. I haven't submitted it yet. But I may run it off grid just because that way I'll set it aside. And if people have time during a particular, because I don't know my schedule yet, I'll just, I'll throw it out there in advance as soon as I do. And then I'll just kind of let the gaming and BS kind of crew, um, if they want to sign up for that game, I'll run it off grid. But uh, Jason uh, Rayther out of Minnesota is running Octoon Cthulhu and some DCC. Eric Farmer, Madisonian, is running Apocalypse World. And then he's also doing kind of a playtest uh, of his own game. It's called Dogs in Hats Solving Crimes. I, I kind of want to play that game. I kind of want I totally want to play that game. Not dogs solving crimes. Dogs in hats. hats solving crimes. So if I don't get in on it at Gamehole Con... Because of scheduling issues, we're going to have to do is just get Farmer to run it for us as a one-off. We're right. going to have to do that. Yes. Uh, so we want to fill all those. And then running, uh, still continuing on, we're not done yet. Kevin Lovecraft is running Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. I think he's a little nervous. Ah, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. If anybody knows Call of Cthulhu, it would be Kevin. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll be great. Dave Beatty from South Carolina is coming up to run Dark Trails. Yeah, and and I, I I taunted him. My World of Darkness game is Wraith, so I told him if you show up, I'm going to run Wraith. So he said he's coming. So there we go. And then Eli Kurtz, of course, uh, is going to be running Savage Worlds. I'm guessing because he just got done with his Kickstarter. Yeah, if he doesn't run right. a Blackmore game, I'll I'll tear up. So I'm assuming he's running a Blackmore game. So we'll see. Right. But yeah, the Blackwood, the Blackwood, Blackwood. I said Blackmore. My bad, Blackwood. Blackwood. Blackmore, another another guy, totally different guy. Not as good. Eli's better. There we go. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So, so my point is is that lots of different games in there. So if you want to, let's we want to fill them all up. You know, so just uh, the search on the gaming or the GameholeCon website could be. I talk to Alex because if you just if you search for gaming and BS, you're only going to get ten results. But if you search by name, I think a lot of those will come up. So if you put in, you know, Eric with a K, Farmer, it'll come up. 
whatever whatever you put in gaming and BS, it just doesn't come up with all the results of all the games. So that's all I got to say about that. Thank you, everybody that has submitted games and has offered to run games. We very much appreciate it. If you're still interested, we will take that. Uh, absolutely. We, we will not, we're not shutting anything down. So if you're willing to submit games and run them under our banner, we would be very appreciative. Absolutely. Um, we've got, uh, um, what do we have? Probably like three tables, which are set aside for us. Now, depending, one of the things that we want to make sure, just to be clear to everybody, we want to tr- <clears throat> work with Josh and the game, uh, game will crew to try to get as many of the games under our banner at those quasi they're not private per se but there's little segregated tables which are really nice because a little bit it's a little bit uh, nicer to be there and sometimes set a lot the larger opener areas however we also don't want to completely fuck people who are like look i really want to run a game for you guys but i I gotta run it on saturday at x time so i can get to this other really kick-ass event i want a game in that may mean that i could end up getting punted to a different table or something like that which is fine it doesn't it doesn't matter it's just it's great and from sean and my perspective that you're just running a game under our banner it's just awesome but just a heads up that we wanted to make sure that everybody was able to run the games at the time they wanted knowing full well that you gamers are going to want to not only run kick-ass games but go play some kick-ass games as well so we're trying to do a solid for everybody all around so thank you we'll get you a little a little token of appreciation of course absolutely have to do that yep uh, Brett, you got something to say? Yeah, so I've been we've been teasing it for a while. The uh, Streets of Avalon actual play that I did with uh, Kevin Lovecraft, uh, Christine Zek, of course, Emily and Tom. Emily from She's a Super Geek and Tom Flanagan from Nights of the Night. Um, did that. We've been cranking through some of the write-up work for the Avalon setting itself. I've been working on that with Chris for a while now. And I don't know exactly how close we are to the Kickstarter, but we definitely are going to have one to get the book done. Uh, we're not doing the... Well, thank you. The point is not to have some crazy astronomical $100,000. It's going to be it's going to be in the lower um, lower range of Kickstarters. We want to keep it simple. I want to produce a book. I want it to be the best one we can get. Um, money goes into art and layout and just making it look really cool. Super sexy. Brett, Brett's as, looking as to... Brett's- to Brett's looking to retire off this thing, so yeah, like, just, yeah, million dollar funding level. Yeah, and once my wife finds that out, she'll leave me. So I'll be looking for a place to stay shortly after. Uh, anyway, uh, point being that it's coming. You know, once I have more details, I'll let you all know. But I'm pretty proud of it. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do with it. So it's kind of cool. Hey, just a suggestion. I think at certain levels, you should allow people to have an NPC in the streets of Avalon setting. That's not a bad idea. I like that idea. Uh, Streets I know, of Bedlam, Jason Blair did it, and uh, there's one cool NPC in that freaking setting. Isn't that Sean the Recruiter Kelly? Is that it the is. One? It I is. Heard of, I, I heard about I that guy. Know, I don't know if there's any relation. Mm-hmm. It's pretty freaking cool when you get to like submit your own kind of character write-up and concept and what the motivation in and what the, the NPC is about. That could be some cool stuff, man. I like that That idea. would be very cool stuff, man. Great. Now you had a good idea. I got to use it. I know, but anyway. talk about like talk about owning a part of that setting. Well, that's the cool thing, right? I mean, I was talking with VC and just the the map you did for Sean and I, the gaming BS map. If you haven't seen it, it's fucking awesome. Anyway, um, there is something really cool about that being part of it, which is the the 
super sexy, as Bert is prone to say, portion of a small pressy Kickstarter like this is that you have a chance to be a part of something like that. So that's kind of cool. But anyway, uh, I'm stoked about it. I just need um, Mr. Sneezak and I and the rest of the crew have not pounded out all the final details. I think we have a little something-something I'll pass out to some of the patrons of the Gaming BS show. So patrons may see something coming out in a little bit here as a taste of. So hopefully that'll that'll be happening. But anyway, looking forward to it, and I hope people are interested. So it's uh, it's the coolest thing when you create something, as I know Eli and uh, Eli Kurtz will tell you, and even Eloy Lasanta, who's done a ton of different Kickstarters, he's, it's just a giddy feeling that if you make something and people like it. So that's kind of cool. Anyway. Yeah. There we go. It'll be, fan- it'll be fantastic. Um, it will be. I want to thank... We want to thank everybody that's bought T-shirts. Um, as of this recording, the sale will be over, but I'm going to promote sales more often. We use a third party by the name of Spreadshirt, where you know, take it for what it's worth, the model. But um, whenever they have like, hey, there's going to be a sale through these days, I'm going to start informing people of those so that they could take advantage of discounted gaming and BS swag on their on the store. So it's sweatshirts and t-shirts primarily no cups and mugs or anything like that at the moment but i think they had a 20 percent off and i passed it along and gave a discount code out so for those of you that have taken advantage of that thank you very much um and and when you get your swag take a take a picture of it and say hey look at this because we want to see how they fit. We do. Before I buy one, I want you guys to buy it. No, I'm yeah, kidding. We don't even know what the color looks like. I don't know. The other thing Sean and I were talking about while we were at the uh, the pig and guzzle or wherever the hell we were with Hobbs, um, there, if, if you guys have an idea for a shirt, I mean, we try to grab, we're oh, thinking yeah. like, little sound bite type of things, like things that like super sexy or shit that I say, or that right. Sean says all the time. Maybe maybe there's something we're just not thinking of because we're two morons out of Wisconsin. So if you've got a good idea or a picture or a graphic or anything you think would be kind of cool, feel free to pitch it to us. We are not above taking your really cool ideas and putting them on a shirt for other people. If to buy. there if there is an artist out there, what I, one idea I came up with, I am not a graphic artist, as you could tell by our album art. But one of the things I can say is if you so zip zaps, I would love a <laughs> I would love. T-shirt. I would love a, a T-shirt that kind of does it as a mock-up of like a, a '70s or '80s kind of zigzags, but it says zip zip zaps on it, yes, and then like a bunch of dice be, being powdered up and roll into a yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, like yeah. roll, yeah, you put your dice in there and roll it up in a zip zap, and you freaking smoke it or whatever. <laughs> if you have the graphic ability of doing that, and we put it on a shirt, I have no problem passing along. What you would charge, I mean, if you, if it's a reasonable, like if you want to send me a quote, like, hey, I can do it and it's going to cost whatever, let me know. And if we can make that happen, I have no problem paying for the design and putting it up there and, you know, we can work out the rights behind that. I would I would love nothing more than to make it a little more graphical and put it out there. But uh, I, I put it out to the community, If you like Brett said, if you have an idea for a shirt and you would like to see it on there, I mean, if it's text, I can do that, no problem, put it out there and just put it on there and you know, sell it, whatever. Um, and maybe even, maybe even put your name to it. I don't know, but, um, let us know. We would, we would love nothing more to, to do that. Um, and we would love your ideas and suggestions cause I'm sure they're going to be very creative. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they will. 
Some of them just, probably will not actually be printable on a shirt because of legal reasons, but I'm sure if nothing else, I'll get a good giggle reading them. So Yeah, no copyright shit. We can't do that crap and you know, don't get us thrown in jail or something. I don't know. I don't, uh, not, again. Sp- not again. Not again. Freedom of speech, I guess. But we still go. we want we are explicit, but we also wanna be somewhat tasteful. Fuck yeah. Well, we don't want to be distasteful. No, not. We'll just put the bar there. Yeah, although. Anyway, let's get on to Random Encounter. Random Encounter. All right, Random Encounter. So we've got some feedback um, regarding mass combat. So we've got Angela, we've got Wayne, uh, Jared, Rasher, um, Gabe, and then I think we get into, I think Carlin mentioned something. Then I've got a couple of voicemails. So you want to start, Brett, or you want me to start? You betcha. I got her running here. So Angela Murray, Miss Murray, says, Hey, Brett and Sean, just wanted to chime in on mass combat. I'm not a very crunchy player, so the few times I've seen mass combat attempted, it's pretty much a disaster. Well, wait a minute. Is Angela crunchy? She's not a very to... crunchy player. She's not a crunchy player. I would have to, I think I have to like a bite a. Angela, to find I've, out. I've I've gotten many hugs from Angela because I've had the pleasure of meeting her, and she's, yeah. she's a nice she's a nice person. So she is not crunchy. She is not crunchy and mean. No, she's very nice. Very nice, great, excellent, and now, well I mean, and well versed in gaming and a hell of a, and a hell of a player. I will tell you what. So. Totally awkward. I'm sure she's going to hear me like, what the fuck is Sean talking about? Yeah, you're going to hit in the get hit in the face with a bag of like crunchy rice one of these days or something. That's what's going to happen. That's right. I'll give you a crunchy asshole. <laughs> That's right. All right. Anyway. Sorry. Yeah, we're moving on. We're never going to get done with this Moving on. The prime example that Angela says. uh, Hey, we're we're running extended. We're running extended, not long. We're running extended. Not long. That's copyright. It's a bonus show. Um, (laughs) Comes to mind was the last time I played in this one awful GM's campaign. I could tell you so many stories about this guy, but this was the last straw for me. I don't remember the reason for the massive battle, but the players pretty much had an hour plus between turns as the GM rode in, rolled individually for every single NPC involved in the combat on both sides of the battle. Whew! I got to know the other players pretty well as we chatted about many things, none of which were about the gamer playing. Well, the GM literally played with himself. Whoa, on, Gus, hey, where are you, Gus? Hey, Gus, where are you? boy. So he goes on to say, that was the last straw for me. Luckily, the other good players felt the same way, and we all defected to form our own group. They're the foundation of the group I still play with today. On a slightly more constructive note, running many narrative games has taught me that you don't necessarily need to treat mass combat as a miniatures war game. You can treat the array of forces in, on battle sides of, excuse me, on both sides of a battle as narrative elements, describing things in broad strokes, but focus on what's important to the PCs. Is this a matter of getting face-to-face with the leader of the enemy forces, breaking through their line to let a squad of elite operatives into enemy territory? Treat the battlefield as a narrative obstacle that has to be role-played slash narrated past. When you see a battle scene in a movie, we rarely get to see what's happening with every platoon or squad. We focus on the protagonist or protagonists, uh, what's happening with them. Let the rest of it be flavor that's described in the background. Never let the players forget that they're in a massive battle, but don't let, but don't feel like you need to play it all out and that's what's, unless, of course, that's what you and your group of players are looking for. I'm a firm believer that narrative techniques can be used in traditional games to give the game and story everyone is looking for without bogging the game down in mechanics that may not be fun for everyone. I'm not someone who wants to play a war game, but I'm sure it's a um, game for a PC taking part in an epic battle like Helm's Deep. Ange. That's good stuff. I like the, uh, you know, that was a thing, I think, 
Sean and I were trying to get to, but of course our listeners are uh, much more erudite and uh, exacting <laughs> and to the point than we are. Treating it like a narrative obstacle. I love that that statement. Treat the battlefield as a narrative obstacle that has to be role-played slash narrative, narrated past. I like that. Treating it like a narrative obstacle. I love it. Thank you, Ange. That's good stuff. Good yes. little catchphrase there. Nice. Glad she wrote in. Um, uh, thank you, Ange. We haven't heard you heard from you for a while. So, uh, Wayne Dryden continues and comments on Google Plus. Hey, BSers, I just finished the Mass Combat podcast. Great show. Thought I would throw my two cents in. I should start by saying we play in a gaming store, so outside of our room there are about three or four war gaming tables, and the store is so kind to offer terrain and buildings for everyone to use. Shout out to Game Chamber. TheGameChamber.com in London. All right, sweet. Go there if you're in London. Um, uh, I agree. Mass combat should be pretty pivotal in the story in order to be effective. PCs need to care about the outcome. I run a mashup space game called Star Trek Serenity. Ooh, nice. Uh, We have had some uh, unit warfare, and I plan on including some large space battles as well. In our game, the Klingon prince was at the bar when his father was killed at his estate in a bid to take over the clan. One half-drunk speech from atop a horse, and we had an alien, human trilla and Dorian, etc., and Klingon force battling an entrenched insurgents. It was glorious. I hate when combat takes too long. I want my combat to be fast-ish, so I used a mix of homebrew and free online unit combat rules to get it done efficiently, and it worked well. Whatever the rules, I make sure that a PC in a unit makes that unit more effective and that the PC is always the last to go down in that unit. You know, that's an interesting thing just from an inclusion perspective, Wayne, is that concept of making sure the PCs make the unit uh, more kick-ass and the PC would be the last man or woman standing at the end. Because... Nothing would suck worse than, you know, Wonder Woman out there in front of a bunch of buck privates and she dies and there's just a bunch of buck privates sitting there. I mean, that that just sucks. It's much more fun to be the last warrior standing or the one holding the flag or rallying your troops and so on. So I think that's pretty cool. It ties a little bit into, it's a little bit more mechanical the way, the way Wayne was explaining it with the homebrew rules for unit combat and so on. But that keep the PCs the super cool thing in unit and make sure that they're the last one to go down in the unit is a bit of the narrative twist that, uh, the Angela brought up. So I think that's good stuff. All right. Jared Rasher. When you talked about resolving a battle of having the PCs act as skirmishers fighting in this engagement or another and extrapolating their successes to an overall outcome reminds me of the victory point system in heroes of battle for third edition. The nice thing about the system is, is that it isn't dependent on the 3-5 rules, so it's still relevant now. Essentially, you create four levels of outcomes, and depending on the percentage of available victory points their actions accrue, the PCs get one of four results. Just You can hit that mic anytime you want, Sean. God damn, it my ears right up against the microphone. Sorry about that. <laughs> Jared goes on to say, the lowest tier is they screwed up worse than things would have gone if they hadn't been there at all. The next tier is about the same as if they hadn't been there. The next tier above is a slightly better outcome than if they weren't in the battle, and the highest tier means they significantly turn the tide of the battle. The downside is that because of the way the information is formatted and inexplicable scattered, inexplicably scattered across two separate chapters, you have to dig a little to figure out how the system actually works. 
I have no idea why it was set up the way it was. As to the quote-unquote complicated fight that wasn't quite a mass combat encounter encounter that I've run, I'm sure I did plenty of crazy shit I don't remember in high school, but in adult years that I can't actually remember, I ran a force of about 25 to 30 opponents versus six 13th level characters in 3.5. And those 25 to 30 individuals had about four distinct troop types, wizard, dragon, elementals, and troops. That fight happened at the end of a multi-year campaign. We all knew it was the final fight of the campaign. The session itself was over eight hours long, and that fight took at least half that time. Not something I would have done often, but it seemed like a suitable ending to that campaign. You know, and there's... I, I like the idea of the victory point system. I may have to look that up. That's kind of a cool mechanical twist to add to even the cool narrative stuff that Angela's talking about. But I'll tell you something you got in here, um, Jared, that I really like was this concept of it happened at the end of a multi-year campaign. It felt like it was suitable. If everybody there for that big-ass eight-hour session, a huge four-hour brawl, was like, wow, that was really cool. If you set that type of thing up and everybody's waiting for that to happen, they come in waiting for that to happen. They want that to happen. It's uh, it's a really good kind of table stakes type of, you know, almost discussion setup where everyone at the table is agreeing, you know, gamer social contract, we're going to have a big goddamn battle here at the end and we're all in for it. So I like that idea. Get everybody bought in. They're already a row. Gabe Dibing continues. Thanks guys for taking such time with my question. Jared Rasher above has a strong sense specific to my query. I want a system that is predicated on the RPG, not a separate war game that makes the actions of the PCs matter in context of the game and the story. Seems to me that too many systems define the roles of the PCs either as wargamers, micromanaging the individual combat units, or they entirely abstract the war as background for the special ops scenarios that Brett and Sean and most of us, I assume, tend to run in our RPGs. So I guess I'm looking for ideas to blend the two approaches without resulting in the tedium resulting the tedium resulting from too many RPG combatants that Brett mentions. Pathfinder's ultimate campaign perhaps tried for a solution that didn't satisfy me. And I think Axe, uh, which is uh, approach, might be similar. Axe's Adventure Conqueror King. Ah. That's the system that is uh, Mr. Hobbs' go-to love of his life. I see. Look at that. Though I should probably just spend the money for the PDF and find out for sure. To get more personal, uh, let me see. The kind of story I'm working towards in my... Yggdrasil campaign, the telling story, telling the story of Beowulf will involve some large scale Viking combat. I don't want the result of this to be contingent on one grand mission for the PCs, but on a variety of little victories, accidents, and even random twists of fate. I've looked at a war game called a uh, system called battle troll. Battle troll. That's, that should be like a 1980s cartoon ad for some crazy thing or an, 80s, or an 80s power metal band i mean that's like that too i could see them opening for man of war i could see that you know oh totally, I, I man a, i could be at a man of war concert with Corey. Wait, who's opening for him brett battle troll man oh sweet dude i'm so there yeah i love I those guys that. i could see you know you, the, all of us you know Corey win of course there in his man of war gear and we're watching we're like there to see him and battle troll opens that's what I, that's what it is that's awesome battle troll battle troll Again, this is an extended episode. Carry on. And so, a war game system called Battle Battle Troll and worked at something of my own using Norse runes as a random storytelling mechanic. 
And here's what I'm going to try out for the large-scale combat in the Beowulf campaign. I'm sure the rules set is esoteric to most of you, but if you're all interested, uh, I, we have a link in the show notes. It's called, uh, I think he's got a Google Doc. Not, I think he's sharing it publicly, but it's the Yogg Mass Combat. And uh, he's probably got some details in there that he's outlined. Uh, I hope he doesn't mind us sharing that. He put it to our our community, so maybe I'll... You're muted, dude. Are you muted? Yeah, I was. Sorry there. Um, I was <clears throat> actually... It's funny when I look over and Brett's like talking in air. I, sh- I wish I could record that and just put it out there. <laughs> just put it out there. <laughs> chirp, chirp. Um, Sean, have you... I would just... You know what I would do? I would dub stuff over dub your mouth. stuff. La, 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 la. That'd be great. <laughs> la, la, la. I love pink unicorns. <laughs> stuff like that. Anyway, um, I've actually heard of Yggdrasil, uh, the RPG, and I saw a copy of it. My buddy Austin... Um, Austin Lemke, one of my game group, uh, Kevin's son, and also just an awesome gamer in and of his own right. <clears throat> it's a really, it's an interesting looking game. It's one of those, I like the whole Nordic myth and so on. I'm really, it's come up in our show a couple times, I believe people have mentioned it. So I think I'm going to have to go find myself a copy of that. But anywho, um, Gabe, this is good stuff, man. Thank you. I think um, Sean and I may do, <coughs> excuse me, a bit more research here, but I, I like what, um, uh, you, you know what Jared Rasher brought up, and if other people, after hearing Gabe's a uh, little bit extra description of what exactly he's looking at, if other people have better ideas, uh, feel free to throw it out in our G Plus community, Facebook community, even email it to us. We'll be happy to pass the word on to Gabe because, uh, hey, we're gamers. We want to help each other out and make sure you've got the coolest game you can have. All right. Thank you, Gabe. Again, great topic, and thanks for writing in, man. Carlin of the Hill People, Kendrick says, I really like the mass combat rules for Savage Worlds. Um, I uh, Yeah, that totally makes sense, because not only you, but Eli Kurtz is a big fan of that as well, I know. Anyway, Carlin continues and says, you work with the GM to decide how many uh, tokens each side has and apply the rules based on the token amounts. First person to lose all their token loses the mass battle. The players can still do things in the battle to help sway things, but the damage roll is pretty much static and can be lethal, a great representation of being in the middle of a mob fight and outnumbered, even if you're the best swordsman in Fightor Town. Interesting. You know, Sean, have you you run more Savage Worlds, i.e. a lot more, than I do. Have you ever used the mass combat rules yourself? I have not. I have read them, but I have not used them. That would actually be an interesting um, game hole kind of event we could do one year, is pick those games, those games with subsystems we've never run before, and just, like, the challenge system, and the entire game will be about grappling. Or chase mechanics, or something. <laughs> the whole thing will be utilizing the lesser-known mechanics from Yggdrasil, and just to see if anybody ever wants to try it. Sounds fascinating, Brett. Right, I sounded better in my head than when it came out. All right, next. <laughs> okay, so Chris Shorb uh, has a couple voicemails, and we'll get through Chris here. So here we go. Chris Shorb, it is, well, I don't know what the date is, but I just listened to the skill list episode. Uh, good episode, and uh, but I thought that I identified a gap in Brett's gaming knowledge, his RPG knowledge. There wasn't a single mention of Apocalypse Engine games. I know, Brett, maybe you've played one or two sessions of Dungeon World, but I really think you need to run some Dungeon World, a session, a six-session campaign or something, just to fill that gap. It's, 
It's my personal opinion, but I think the Apocalypse World Engine is probably one of the biggest innovations in RPGs over the past five, ten years. And uh, I think that's a, a big gap. Dungeon World doesn't have a skill list per se, but it does have the moves. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, how you feel like that would resonate with players uh, like Zave or I can't remember if it was Zave or Beta or whoever it was who was missing the skill list. I wonder how they would react to Dungeon World where there's no skill list at all. Anyways, that's just a comment that I had. As always, good podcast regardless. And um, that's it. Take care. Bye. So that was his first one. Would you, would you like to would you like to chime in, Brett? I will not. This is not a retort, uh, Chris. That's a damn good point. I have played. I did get a chance to play. I played some Dungeon World, and when I was at Origins, Phil ran um, his Hydro Hackers, which uh, powered by the Apocalypse. I also, uh, while I was there, I picked up a copy of Urban Shadows, a political urban fantasy, which is another powered by the Apocalypse game. I have a hard copy just showing Sean here over the camera that I've got a copy of this that I need to read. This one just seems like it's, I think. Dungeon World, when I play a dungeon crawling game, I tend to go to d and I just do. But Urban Shadows is that kind of, um, again, political urban fantasy, vampires, darkness, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty much right in, my, uh, right in my wheelhouse. So I figured I would uh, go ahead and get this. So I'm definitely planning to read the sucker and get it to the table. And I do also have Blades in the Dark. So, which, which is not really powered yeah. by the apocalypse, though. Not, not really, not really. But it's another similar uh, sh- well, strike. That I haven't read the damn rules yet. So, but anyhow, so good point, Sean. Anyhow, misdirected Mark just did a show on it, and it, it is it they 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 do clearly define that it is it is a it certainly has its influences from Powered by the Apocalypse, but it is uh, quite a bit different. I have not um, that episodes in my podcast. I haven't gotten to it yet, but yeah, it's a good one. But anyway, uh, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think. There is a cool thing that PBTA games are doing with that. It's not like they're, oh, my God, they're just doing it now, Brett. You, no, I know they've been doing it for a while. I'm just not on that boat yet. So I bought this one as kind of uh, my foray into it. Dungeon World then was fun when Chris ran it. I had a good time with it, but it doesn't trip my trigger as far as a guy to run the game. This Urban Shadows, though, I think uh, might be right in my wheelhouse. All right, the next one, he goes into uh, the pre-gens piece. Let's see. Uh, cue that up, baby. Hey, guys. It's Chris Shorb dialing 929 Big Dice. Uh, I know, notice you guys don't publicize the phone number anymore, but I thought I'd give you guys a call. I was listening to the die roll, uh, not the die roll, the random encounter, and everybody was talking about uh, pre-rolled characters, uh, everybody zip-zaps, and... Um, it seemed like everybody was talking about mostly one-shots. I wanted to talk about how I have used pre-rolled characters for campaign play, specifically when I've got new players that play. And I'm thinking, actually, even more specifically about D&D. Give people some pre-rolled characters, and what I basically tell them is, hey, you guys don't know how to play, so I'm going to give you these these characters. We're going to play some sessions, and then when you guys level up, whether second, third, fourth level, when you guys level up, you guys can change your characters 100%, um, with the only caveat really being, if you're going to change your class, you probably want to discuss that with your the rest of your party just to make sure you guys feel like your party balance is going to be okay. So just thought I'd throw that into the mix about uh, pre-rolled characters for campaign play. 
And um, otherwise, as always, keep up the good work. And I am envious of all those folks who are going to get to go to Game Holt Con this year. I'll be running my own little con the week before, Pine Con. Uh, that'll be October 20th through 21st here in L.A. Looks like that one's going to, our con is going to sell out, so, um, which is great for us. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to go to Game Hole the week after. All right. Thanks a bunch. Take care. Bye-bye. So um, go to Pine Con if you're in L.A. But going back to his, um, going back to the pre-gens for campaign play, the Star Wars beginner boxes are pretty good. So the ones by Fantasy Fight Games, Edge of the Empire, Force and Destiny, um, and the Rebel one. Uh, shoot. <laughs> oh, God. I, Anyways, somebody's going, the Rebel, whatever. And they know this. Anyways, Age the Age of the Rebellion. Thank you, this Brett. This guy doesn't like Star Wars. <laughs> hey, gotcha. So those come with NPC kind of like portfolios. And you hand them out. And literally, you have the beginning of the character and explains kind of, it's got the side kind of text and tells you what's what. And then you literally run the adventure and then you tell them to turn the page. And then when you turn the page, that's leveling up and it tells you what you can allocate to what section. Because it'll be like, yeah. And then it happens again. So it's like a... it's a probably one, two, three, four, five, six page kind of like documents. So it's really cool that way because you could start out with NPC or pre-gens and you give it to the player character. And then when it's time to level up, they'll actually tell you what you can do when you level up, like what, where to allocate points and how that works. It's pretty smooth. Actually, to that point, my middle daughter, Rhiannon, had never played D&D before. She started... Because when we were up our, our family's cabin in Upper Michigan over 4th of July, the other kids wanted to play. She's like, sure, I'll play on board. She loved it. So we got back home before the actual 4th of July, and um, the little kids wanted me to run a game for them. I said, sure. Rand's like, well, I'll play. Do I have to make a character? So I went printed off a pre-gen off of the Watsy site. She's like, this will work. And being, she's like, you know, she just wanted to get in and do something different. So kind of uh, to Chris's perspective, she didn't know... She really doesn't know Jack about the game system itself quite yet, um, but she's getting into it, and those pregens were a really good way to just kind of give her something that she could get rolling with right out of the gate without having to do a lot of homework. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, everybody, for um, emailing us, commenting on Google+, and the social medias, and then also for Chris Shorb calling in, if you want to leave a voicemail, 929-BIG-DICE. I'd recommend recommend shooting for like the minute, minute and a half time frame, because then you know make it pretty succinct. Because it cuts well, off on you, sweet spot. Yeah, it, it does cut cut off on you. Chris has noticed that. I think. Chris has found that. <laughs> Chris like, shit. Goblin's henchman had that happen to him once too. I think. Oh, and, that's uh, right, goblins. Yeah. And uh, as you can already tell, that we're almost we're over a half hour in. Sean, I haven't gotten to the main topic yet, so it takes a while sometimes. Anyway, speaking of. All right, Brad, what are we talking about this week? So this is going to Michael Drescher. He had emailed us, and he said, about his weekly core, Fate Core game, 
Uh, speaking of guys who knows fate, um, set in this dy- dy- uh, dystopian underground bunker owned by corporations. They saved a large swath of people, uh, so on and so forth. The PCs begin with no skills or abilities to represent amnesia. As they try to do things, they fill in their skills from the top rating down. The idea being their best skill would, of course, be the first thing they try as their memory slowly come back. Groups being hunted, pushed around by uh, supposed resistant efforts. There's threats from guilds. A lot of political intrigue, deception, alliances. It's a suppressive environment designed to emulate an atmosphere of being lost, confused, and, of course, dystopia. All that said, Michael is asking, you know, when does confused players stop being good story-setting emulation and start being a drag on the player's good time? And um, he kind of, you know, do you pull a plug on the mysteries and intrigue? It's a tempestuous world with many faces. You know, what are your thoughts about it? And this is a thing I've I've struggled with a little bit over the years. That sometimes it's it's um when you're the one doling out the clues in any kind of mystery or digging around investigative type game, it's kind of fun to throw that out there and go tee hee hee. They haven't quite put it together yet. Ha 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 ha. You know, you get the gleeful laughter. You get to do the uh, Monty Burns from The Simpsons. You know, ha ha ha. You don't know what's going on thing. However. That does wear thin sometimes, and sometimes we do need to pull the curtain back. So, Sean, let me ask you this. What do you think is the, from not, not what, there's no right answer, but what would you say is the difference between like a mysterious plot versus mysterious things? And by things, I mean like monsters, a trap, or something like that. Because I think the, the route here that Drescher's getting to, Michael's talking more about a mysterious plot elements and not necessarily as you and I have talked about the the mystery or the wonderment of like, I don't know that that's a cobalt. All I know is it's a small, scaly humanoid thing that's eating babies because cobalt eat babies, especially in Brett's world. Well, right. There's a game that's called that. Exactly. Cobalt ate my baby. There we go. Right. Stolen from Brett. <laughs> from my, just, there's these swaths of dead babies. My games have left behind them. Cobalt had to eat something. Anyway, so is there, do you see a big difference between that being like a mysterious plot being or mysterious thing? Yes. Well, carry on. Tell me more. <laughs> so the mysterious things is that they at least present themselves. You just don't know what the hell they are. And then they may throw you off a little bit and make it, it make you wonder, uh, make you maybe instill some emotion like fear because you don't know what the monsters are, but they are in front of you. They are something you can deal with. They're tangible. You know, you can maybe fight it, kill it, burn it, whatever. But the mystery is unknown. So it's like this thing you can't touch. You don't know what it is. There's nothing tangible to it. It's an ideal, uh, maybe for lack of better words, And so you're trying as a player character to figure out maybe it's like, well, which way do we go? Yeah. With the info that we have, uh, derp. (laughs) I mean, even if you take a game like Knights Black Agents where you know you're fighting vampires, unless your game master is really benevolent and she tells you, oh, by the way, these vampires are uh, aliens and they're affected by pure silver, blah, blah, blah. You know it's a vampire. It's there's a plot around the fact to uncover them. How do I kill the fuckers? What do I do? How do I destroy things and so on? But you know there's kind of vampires there. The, the mystery of figuring them out is still really cool. Uh, Chris is running a periodic Knights Black Agents game, which I've been in 
um, Chris Nizek, that is. We started it at QCC last year, played again at Origins, and we still aren't totally sure what exactly, what type of vampires we are up against. Now, that's, a, again, as Sean said, one level of mystery. But I think you're dead right. I mean, even at some point with the monster, you can say, fuck this, I'm going to attack it. Right? You can actually charge that thing head on. Even if it's right. a trap, you can be like, you know what? I, th- I throw the halfling down the hall. Let's see if there's any traps. You can do something to go after a mysterious thing head on where the mysterious plots, you can't. Not yeah, easily. Yeah, it's a con- more of a concepty thing almost, it's, you know, where it's like, and, and to Michael, I mean, he's kind of, I like his approach to the character generation and that's going to invest, you know, that's going to create some investment into the characters and the plot and what's going on. But at the same time, when you're dealing with amnesia, yeah, th- then you get this like, what the hell am I doing here? And so it's almost like those movies where the person wakes up and they don't know who they are, where they, where they are and what's going on. And then the plot unfolds because they, I mean, Jason Bourne was like that. So if you read the Bourne series from the books originally and the movie touches on it as well, you know, he's found in, I don't know where the south of France or something. He he was drowning and he gets pulled out and he doesn't know, he even know who he is. And so then he gets this memory in his flashback or somebody tries to beat him up and he, they mention his name. So he takes his name and they mention like, he gets like, I don't know. I don't know. It's some clue well, the- that takes him to another point. Yes. The cool thing, though, that you bring up with movies, which I'm glad you did, so I didn't have to, but it's a two-hour movie. Within that two hours, we go from, I don't know shit about who I am, to, oh, I figured out most of it. And it's doled out in decent increments. Those movies where we're like, Jesus Christ, come on, come on, come on, come on. That's what I think uh, Michael's talking about here, Like, is the, the frustration, the burnout, players just fucking wanting to quit, or you wanting to quit because no one's taking it anywhere. If you drag it out too long, and I think the question is, what is too long, right? Because if I have this wonderful dystopian world that's supposed to be tense, and you've got amnesia, and you're trying to figure out different problems, and if you're running an apocalypse world game, and you're like, well, you know, there's the different moves you can do, you know, trying to do different things, trying to figure out how this functions, um, and say, well, you know, I, I do X. You don't name the move in apocalypse world. You say a thing, as you and I were talking about this last weekend, and then you kind of determine what the movie would roll and so on. But as you're going through that, you're trying and you're, and you're sorting things out. I think it's incumbent on the game master then to start giving out bits of juicy bits of information. And you really, really need to be able to read your table where if I give out something, Oh, this is a, this is a choice chunky bit that, Oh my God, Sean's going to totally dig on this. And I give it to him. He goes, I don't know what the fuck to do with that. He looks just as blank at me as he did at the beginning. I may have to pull, if you go back to like when I've talked about investigations on this show, when you and I have talked about it before, is sometimes you have to say, now, remember all the pieces you've been given. If you put those together, what does that give you? It's not that you want to lead the players by the nose, per se, but if they're really and truly stumped and stymied, not everybody digs not knowing what the fuck is going on for an extended period of time. My buddy Lenny, he could play an entire game where he didn't know shit about what was happening. He would live, his character would live absolutely in the moment. He would not care. I know, I think, one other person who could do that. Nobody else likes that, that I've ever met. 
And one example and to touch on that is we all have that person, friend, family member, whatever, that you sit and watch a TV show with a movie and they don't see things coming. You see it from like a mile away. So my wife's a perfect example. We'll sit there and we'll watch something and I'll go, oh my God, I can't believe that's, a, that's like, that's the husband. And she'll be, then she'll be like, she'll look at me as if I spoiled the entire movie. Even though the hints in the show would be kind of obvious to many people, you know, to her, it's not there. You're muted again, Brett. God damn it. I was just, no, I was just trying to decide. <laughs> I'm trying to decide. I was actually thinking to myself, do I tell him that he just called his wife dense or do I just wait until I see Tam next? No, no, I will. I'll just keep oh. that private. I'll just keep that private. Oh my God. Um, it's not what I'm saying. No, I know. I know. It, and the other piece is that depending on the story that's happening too. I can't believe you just call my wife dense. I don't know. I'm just picking up what you're putting down. I'm going to have to go to blows, dude. I know. Anyway, <laughs> that'd be funny when I get my ass kicked. That'd look hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, depending on the type of story, too, some people have different levels of investment. And that's where if you have players who like think the in Michael's idea of like, hey, it's this crazy dystopian future. And see, people, some people are really desperately into that. And other people are like, well, I'm playing because they just like to play and they're kind of digging it. It's kind of like your wife or, or, or even some of my kids are like, oh, I want to watch this movie. But they're kind of half watching it. And they're just picking up big cues. Some of the subtleties are lost on them for whatever reason. Sometimes you're distracted because of work, family, kids, a dog just shit on the carpet, whatever the problem is. I got a new puppy, so that's the thing that happens in my house. Um, anyway, that you're going to have that player who looks at you and is like, you, you thought that was like a big reveal? Like, oh, it's your mom. And you're like, who fucking cares? It's this. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Well, don't you remember five sessions back when I alluded to the person who did this? You're like, I have no clue about what that is, dude. Or I, I miss that subtle hint you gave me. Even if you think you hit him with a hammer, it's too subtle. So I guess, I, for me, I think I have a mental rule of thumb that at the end of every session, the players should feel like they've gained some ground. Even if that ground gaining is like, look, we've amassed twice as many clues as we had before. We're still not positive that all equals something or what it all equals, but we know it's important. Everything in this bucket of clues is critical to us being able to figure out the problem. We haven't been able to put it together yet, which is one of the beauties of Gumshoe. I haven't been able to put it all together yet, but I got a fuck ton of clues in this bucket. How do I do it? Then even if they have amnesia and the different clues are putting together at the end of the session... You kind of have that wrap-up piece where they're able to lay out what they've learned and help them. I think it's sometimes a little DM fiat where you need to step in and say, and what have we learned? How about this? Uh, again, if your players need that. And I don't know your players, and then nor does Sean, but I think that that's that's the thing I like to do. Sean, what do you what do you think about that? Well, one other approach that you could take is you don't plot it all out, you know, as you would want it and see it. Mm -hmm. So you have a very, you have an approach and you present it to the players, but the players may not think the exact same way you do. And they will come up with some goofy thing. They will come up with their own conclusion. And what you could do is just say, yep, that you're absolutely right. You know, I've done that. 
I have done that. Have you done that? And you can go, oh my God, I can't believe you can't. I, I, so in your mind, you could say, I can't believe they came up with that. Sounds like a good plan. Go with it. Or you, or you can just say, you know what? You just sit there and smile and nod. Yeah. And they'll be like, I knew it. I knew it. And you're like, that wasn't where you were going as a game master. But to them, it's like, oh my God, I figured it out. It's actually a really cool... You saying that makes me think of this, that it's like this really cool sandbox opportunity. Talk about group world building in a way, right? Where the group looks at you, and when they throw something that is super sexy, because I'm on a roll, I'm going to keep saying that tonight. When you throw that super sexy thing out there as players, and the game master would almost be a fool to not try to take it and work it in. It might be a time we go, okay, <clears throat> nice, good, good concept, hey, you know, Smoke, if you got them, I, I got to take a five-minute break. We're going to order some pizza or whatever you do. It might be time to take a break and just look at the plot you had or the thoughts in your head, bullet point list, fully detailed, however it is you do your thing, and then saying, wow, that was fucking cool. How do I take that thing that Sean and Ange and Eileen just came up with, how do I make that as part of this? And even if you don't necessarily know at the moment, take that two seconds, make that note. Sean, Ange, Eileen had kick-ass idea. You know, get Zave and get Zave's character tied into this somehow? Question mark. Move on, and then use that stuff that they're giving you because when they really don't know, and they're trying to figure things out, players are grasping, looking. They're trying to draw ends together, and players will make some amazing, screwed up conspiracies for you to to grab onto and to some mysteries for them to unravel and directions if you pay attention to what they're throwing at you. Uh, I like that. I like that idea. Yeah, I think despite my my demeanor for plotting the lives of player characters as a game master, you know, I think it's only, um, you know, I think it's one of probably the bigger shortcomings of game masters. Like if you have it all planned out, it, you you may come up short or it may not go the way you want it, and then you might get frustrated but i think if you go into something like i have no idea i'm i'm going to come up with a general concept i have no idea where the players are going to go with it and you're able to roll with it especially with the mystery piece and let them come up with those weird conclusions no matter how they do it dude it is going to be gold now as a game master you have to be reactive to that but if you can adapt, they will lose their freaking minds and think it's the greatest campaign they've ever played in. I guarantee it. And you don't have to do – so if you have a long campaign planned and you're a little more of a planner, which is, again, totally a legitimate way to do it, you may need – if you've never done that before and it's a little nerve-wracking nerve or you're not sure how, don't be afraid to start small. Have a subplot within it. Have a little, a little piece where you can play like that. I think there there is a portion where, uh, you know, as Michael asked us, when does the confused players stop being good story emulation and being a drag? I think the answer to that is when they never get any goddamn answers. Right? Well, you are gonna freaking know. I could tell when <laughs> I could tell my wife was watching the TV show Lost, and at a certain point, she was getting oh. so pissed off because oh. she could not get any fucking answers. It was driving her bananas. Never seen the show. Don't care. I know what the ending is because she told me. Um, 
Because <laughs> she was pissed. Because <laughs> she was pissed. She told me the ending. Um, anyway, it's kind of, it's almost X-Files-y in a way, too, kind of at the tail end of the season and stuff where people got cranky. Anyhow, point being. That, God, they fucked that. They yeah, fucked they, that show up. They really did. They really did. I really got into it, and then I got my wife into it, and they fucked it. And then you just felt so sad. Um, what are you doing, Abrams, and you dickheads? Why are you breaking everything? They had so much potential, they fucked it all up. Anyway, I think... Um, I don't pull the plug on a mystery and intrigue, like say done. What's cool though, is at a certain point, even if the players don't know everything, I don't, I don't ever pull a plug and say, well, you now know everything. And that's never a goal of mine. My goal with a mystery or an intrigue like this is that the players uncover enough to become effective to do what it is that they need to do. And if it's yeah, a, point if, them in the right, yeah. get them in the right direction. Yeah, if it's, and if it's self-directed, like, hey, we want to, they figure, 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 and to Sean's point, they take a sharp left, and they want to destroy the prince of the city and become the vampire lords of Chicago. Okay, you got enough data to do it, off you go. I do I do like to do post-mortems after a game sometimes and say, hey, guys, you know, you never looked at this. And somebody will say, holy shit, that's right. I totally forgot to look at that. Damn, that would be cool. Well, maybe next time. Um, but I, from a guideline, I think at the end of every session, the group, all of them, because they're all kind of through this mysterious plot and intrigue and being confused, they should all, everything should get a little clearer, a little more clear. And it, it's corny to say, but it's absolutely true, is every group's definition of what feels a little more clear is going to be different based on your players. But that's damn near as good to some groups is handing out, you get a thousand experience points. Oh my God. Yay. We leveled up. It's just about as good in a, what I consider a more story-based game or narrative game. When you advance you you feel as players that I can advance the plot further now because I know more to take the next steps. If at the end of the session, they're looking at you like, I have no idea where to go next. We don't even know what to fucking do now. Uh, you maybe should have dribbled out a couple more clues and don't be afraid to do a little GM fiat if you need to. Have him make a skill roll. Well, you do have investigation skills. Sean, give me an investigation roll. See if you can pull some of these desperate um, components together. You know, Eileen, give me a shot here. Hey, Chris, you know, remember what your character met when he talked to Vlad? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't be afraid to drop those hints out there to those players so that they can work that stuff together. I think it's it's a way to help them end a session and not feel... Like it's like they just barely know what's going on because again, that's fun for a little bit, but after a while I'd like to have a fucking clue so I can actually make some actions that seem like they mean something. Not everybody's into the whole, like my buddy Lenny and some of my group, not everybody likes a, uh, anti-climax. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I hope that helped Michael. Um, let us know if we're in the ballpark or not, or, uh, if you, as a listener, have dealt with kind of the mystery thing um, and divulging some of that, what your approach is. Maybe you have a set amount of clues as, as the party goes along. You're always going to give no matter what. It's not going to require skill checks. It's just going to be automatically given to the, the folks. Whatever that looks like, let us know. You know, I think as a quick capper here, this just came to me. Is I know Michael was talking more campaign but there's another level of confusion that can happen. When uh, I've read some really cool DCC adventures, and sometimes they have puzzles in them. 
and some of the OSR games have those things. There's one adventure where you have to do something with a whole bunch of corpses in order to gain access to a thing. Well, my, my group was messing with that. They forgot the big clue I gave them at the beginning. I repeated the clue, I shit you not, five times. Count them five times. They all freaking forgot it. And by the time they got there, I'm finally I'm like, fuck, somebody give me an intelligence roll to see when you jackasses remember what I told you five times. I even told you to write it down. Anyway, um, all jokes aside, the, the point, though, is sometimes things are missed. People screw something up. They, they make a mistake or whatever. And even if it's not a complete campaign component, sometimes it's just that one puzzle where they look at you and they're like, I don't know how to get past the Sphinx. I don't know that riddle. I don't know what to do here. All our die rolls have failed. What do you want me to do, Sean? God damn it. What do I do? That level, you don't want to get to that level of panic and confusion either. And I think that's a little more immediate tactical. And what Mike was looking at was more overarching plotty. So, Michael, if we if we hit it, as Sean said, let us know. If we missed it and you're looking for something better, let us know. And we'll, we'll try to get better for you, brother. We'll, rec- we'll recommend another podcast. <laughs> if we have to. <laughs> oh, man. Die roll. Die roll time. Die roll. Die roll. All right, Brett. All right. Mutant Crawl Classics by Goodman Games. There is a license available. My assumption is guys like Forrest Aguirre and uh, the Globern folks. Other people are totally into this. Mutant Crawl Classics RPG third-party publisher license is now available, which is pretty goddamn cool. I love, uh, I, I like, I like Goodman Games. I've had a chance to talk with uh, Joseph Goodman at uh, Gary Con and just hang out with the DCC people. We've talked about this before. That crew is just an amazing crew of folks. They love their game. They're super passionate about it, and. Um, the the third party support that Goodman Games gives out to like our friends at Purple Sorcerer, I mean, it's just it's just awesome. So this is one more really cool thing. Yep. Uh, classic Traveler online character generator. Does so it, does it kill you? Uh you know what? I don't know how many times you have to refresh to see if you get a killed character. <laughs> Maybe it only gives you the survived ones. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if it gives you one that dies. So for those of you that are not familiar with the classic traveler, um, you there's a career path kind of life path character generation, and you it's one of the few systems where you can actually die in character generation. So that's what Brett's alluding to. <laughs> uh, second one: any award nominations 2017 have been announced. Uh, congratulations to all the nominees for 2017. Uh, we did not make the list for podcast, Brett. Did we submit anything, Sean? I did not. I, did, I thought I that thought you were going to do, that. Gonna do that. Oh, every fucking year. Yeah. God damn it, Brett. I'll tell you what, though. Who's is it? Spellburn. 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 Yeah, Spellburn. Uh, and we love I think Jen. Yeah. I think is Jen on that show yeah, now? Yeah, Judge Still? Jen is okay. on there. Yeah. We love, we love, the, we love Judge Jen and all the awesomeness that is Spellburn. So. You know, Ken and, and Robin, uh, some guys out Kenny, of Canada, one yeah. guy from Chicago are on the there. That, I don't know that, if you ever heard of them. They've been on there for like the last three years and nominated. Their, and with their barely a gaming podcast podcast, yeah, that one. Oh, oh, I, I love their podcast, but yeah. Anyhow, when I see Ken next time, he'll punch me right in the face. Anyhow, 
Well, that's something you can like, you could drop that everywhere you go then, Brett. Yeah, I could do that. Can, can, can I drop, punch me in the face? And I've got a, I've got a record now because Monty Cook dropped me down last uh, Game Hole Con and now, and now uh, Ken I did. So, hey, I th- I'm getting my ass make- kicked by game designers across the country. <laughs> so it's, it's some of Brett's highlights. Yes. Yes, it is. All right, anyway, listeners. Congrats to, congrats to the nominees and, and all that good stuff. All right, uh, listeners. Uh, we'll alternate. Mark Tasaka let us know about his Dungeon Crawl Classics randomly generated zero-level funnel. So in Dungeon Crawl Classics, the funnel is everybody rolls up random characters. It's usually 3d6 down the line. That's what you get. You're zero level. You have like one to four hit points. And your weapon is a rolling pin, a pitchfork, hammer, all kinds of crazy shit. So he created an adventure called The King's Challenge. Or, uh, and there's a launch page. We have a link in the show notes. Um, the dungeon map, room descriptions, encounters, treasure, etc. are randomly generated, creating a unique play experience each time the character funnel is run, making it a great funnel for store, demo games, convention games, etc. So check that out. Thank you so much, Mark, for not just supporting the show, but also you know contributing to the gaming community. Absolutely. That one of the coolest parts is the whole do-it-yourself thing that gaming does no matter no matter what game whether it's the quote-unquote track quote-unquote indie whatever the hell you're playing there's always some really cool stuff out there because guys like mark tasaka are doing cool shit so uh michael parker pointed out the dcc speaking of dcc scratch off character sheets on kickstarter uh they talked about this at gary con in march i remember joseph goodman holding up saying hey this is an idea and everyone went oh my god that's so cool um, and, uh, the Kickstarter's funded. It ends July 25th. So this will drop, uh, July 11th. So you still got some time to get in on it. It's one of those, if you're a DCC collector, it's one of those things you're going to want to have an unscratched sheet somewhere in your DCC collection. And if you're a DCC gamer, talk about a fun way to run a funnel at a convention. If you want to get in on that, that could be, that could just be a hoot. So anyway, very good stuff. And a very good gift. Oh, hell like, Yeah. I know I've bought in relatives like lottery cards and like, here you go. Here's 20 bucks a lotto. Go nuts with the scratch off. That could be, these for that like could gamer, be fun. Gamer friends, man. They'll go ape shit on this stuff. Yeah. Gamer Christmas, man. That's a good way to go. I like that. There you go. Stocking stuffer. There you are. Oh, look at you thinking yeah. head to the holidays. I'm always there. Michael Parker. Thanks for supporting the show. Another patron of ours chiming in. Uh, Eli Kurtz. Holy cow, it's like a whole slew of patrons this week. Uh, Shares behind-the-scenes info about his The Blackwood Kickstarter. So Savage Worlds setting that Eli had done, um, Fantasy meets uh, Wuxia, and uh, that's successfully funded, and he elaborates a little bit about behind-the-scenes, the the numbers, um, and some of the observations he had about his Kickstarter. So if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about that, he divide he pulls across, pulls the curtain aside and gives you some insight. Very cool stuff. And Jared Rasher, well, you mentioned him before and he's back again. Uh, he's got a, he suggested a book series by Paul S. Kemp. He says, I just wanted to share this series in case anyone here hasn't run across them before. After listening to the streets of Avalon, thank you again, Jared, for listening. Um, 
seems particularly relevant thematic recommendation. Very obviously inspired by Fofford and Mauser. There's a bit more modern sensibility in the lead characters, like wondering about repercussions to their actions from time to time. Lots of banter, lots of city-based adventuring, and many adult-oriented situations. While the individual books are self-contained, the events of the books are chronological and more directly chained from the previous books than the Lankmar books, as an example. Kemp was one of uh, Jared's favorite authors for a while. He did a lot of Forgotten Realm stuff, and Star Wars novels were supposed to be some pretty good reads as well. He definitely likes his rogues, assassins, and morally questionable protagonists, but still has them wonder why they do the things they do from time to time. So, um... Hammer and Blade is the first one. It's the uh, <clears throat> Edgel and Nyx series. I saw this and went, all right, Rasher's a good guy. I know him. So I went out and grabbed The Hammer and the Blade, A Tale of Edgel and Nyx. I have the audiobook, and it's fucking hilarious. It is awesome. <clears throat> it's got these wonderful, just goofy moments. It has some great D&D, very adventure-feeling stuff. It's really, it's a very good swords and sorcery type of game. I love it. It has a lot of... What I what I wanted to put into Avalon, that type of feel and so on, it has a lot of that. Of course, different setting and so forth, but it's damn good stuff. Thank you, Mr. Rasher, for suggesting that because I love it. Yeah, thanks. And another patron of the show. Absolutely. So it's like the quafecta this this week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for writing in. Thanks for the die rolls. Um one thing, so next week we do not have a topic planned as of yet. One of the things I'd mentioned to Brett that I want to do, or we want to do, is how some people in the gamosphere that may not be publishers necessarily, um, but are doing good work to promote gaming, to promote um, the betterment of society through gaming. Um, we know some people in our community that are doing that. Uh, James Walls, I don't think he listens to us, but... Um, we know him, uh, and he runs a lot of DC stuff. He's on the Glowburn podcast with Forrest Gary. And then we also know that the pure mongrel is doing that in Australia, doing some really good stuff with kids. And so, um, Stacy Delafano is, is doing stuff with Contessa. Um, and so we are looking for suggestions on who else we may want to contact and maybe we'll do. Uh, we don't know if we're going to have them all on the show at the same time. I mean, we haven't even brought this up to their attention. So if they're listening to this, they'll be like, whoa, I didn't even know. But um, maybe we can we can tap that because it's certainly something we want to put out there. And, you know, because I think some people are aware that some of these folks are doing some good work and some people may not be. And so I know even Mo does like the, um, oh, shoot, the the 24 hours of 48 hours of gaming yep. and the children's network for hospitals. And we've had a number well, of everybody things over the, over the couple of years we've been doing this almost 150 episodes. Now I've had a number of people saying, Hey, I've got a, a charity thing or <clears throat> even Evercon. We have an auction and game. Ocon has an auction for charity and so on. So there's some, there's some cool shit that gamers do. And I still will tell you, I think gamers are some of the most generous men and women I've met. I mean, just hanging out with people at a convention and it's, it's just, it's, it's so nice. Honestly, I mean, good gamers are some of the best damn people I've ever met. So. Yeah. Well, it helps. Oh, absolutely. Like you don't want to be in a hobby full of assholes. No, not really. <laughs> well, and if you're in the hobby and you're an asshole, get out. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody tells you it's full of assholes. 
and take a look around, I guess. I don't know. Anyways. But to Sean's point, it would be great to try to get some folks. I know scheduling can be a complete pain in the ass for a number of people. It's not always easy to get folks on the show. But if you have some ideas, even if it's just a, even if we can just kind of collate a list of really cool shit people are doing and post links and stuff, that would be nice because there's some really nice stuff that people are doing out there. So, Yeah, we'll reach out if you want to give us a suggestion like, oh, hey, you absolutely got to know this person and what they're doing. It's really cool stuff. We'd love to give them a little bit of exposure. You know, we'll, we'll probably bring them on the show and I don't know what people can do or what people are doing. I think it's just more exposure than anything and letting people know. Yep. All right. Well, super. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this one's in the bag. The bag of holding. Holding. There you go. Hey. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swift, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Shaw Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Knights of the Night Crew, Pladian, Remy Bellado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, not Cabrio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Desaka, Tim Shorts, Dan Lavalley, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Tom McGowan, Roger Braslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Ray Otis, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Rodrigo Beowulf, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Evan Harrison, Evan Harrison Cass, Chris Steele, Eric the Hoff Hoffman, Jared Rasher, Stefan Dragonspawn, Soldiers of Misfortune RPG, and Christopher Lang. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Consider going over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks, patrons. Thanks, listeners. This This has has been been a Litterbox Studio production. production.